Season 1, Episode 6, titled Book 74. The episode starts with Nathan getting buried by Kenny and Boyd, which does kind of make you question just how many bodies are buried out there in the ground. Katri is giving a sermon while Jade runs to take a car antenna with him. Julie looks at the graves of Victor Doug before heading over to the balcony where a bouquet of flowers is resting. Tabitha hands Katri a handwritten Bible after the sermon is done. Katri says that nobody has seen Sarah since she ran off. He explains that he wrote the Bible from memory, and then asks what Tabitha really came there for. She asks how Katri knows that any of this is real. Katri says it doesn't really matter, and that Tabitha and her family were here before they crashed. So the Matthews family are all alive, and she can scratch that question off her list. Which sort of feels like a Wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience of, like, it's not purgatory, they're not dead. Stop thinking of that theory. Tabitha leaves and Katri heads down into the basement of the church where he is keeping Sarah tied up. Katri says, they need to talk. We need to talk to him, because I had mentioned last week that Sarah wasn't going to be sort of the antagonist anymore. And while that does seem to be true, she's tied up. And there, obviously everybody knows that she is a murderer. There is a chance that we're going to try to redeem her. And I don't know that the character should get a redemption arc. Because she did some pretty bad things. Now, you could blame that a bit on mental health issues, for sure. Um... But I don't know that I want to see them try to make her out to be a heroic figure at this point. Like, she's done too much bad shit to be able to come back from that. Kenny and Boyd finish up, and Kenny questions why Sarah would try to kill Ethan. Kenny's mother has taken it kind of hard, since Sarah was essentially her adopted daughter. Boyd mentions that Kenny talked about running out of room on the chessboard, and he wants to push further into the forest, and the only reason that they don't yet is because they, he was worried about the talismans not being able to protect them. But they did in the RV. They figured out, essentially, that the creatures are sort of vampire-like, where if you have the talisman in a enclosed area, not even maybe enclosed, just enough walls around you in order to make it where they would have to cross something or move something out of the way in order to get to you, but even if you have those up, if you invite them in, they're free to come in. And it seems like all it takes is maybe one person to do that. Because when we saw with Megan, she opened the window and let the old lady in. 
I know Lenny killed both her and her mother, so it wasn't a case of like just killing Megan and then like, oh, now I got to go back out because I wasn't invited. And like, it completely breaks the talisman spell if somebody lets them in willingly. So they're still able to get into other areas that don't have talismans, no problem, as we've seen with the box, and we've seen with anything in the past before they found the talismans. But that's essentially how it works: is as long as you're protected enough you're good, because I'm pretty sure that the RV isn't airtight, but because of the fact that it was pretty well put together, like even with the hole in the window, the talisman was able to protect them. So that means that Boyd, as long as he has something that he can take with him or someplace that he can go and hide into that has enough protection around it, he'll be fine with the talisman. So his plan is to get supplies and to start heading out into the forest. Kenny drops his shovel and starts walking away, and he asks him if he's going alone. Boyd says he's doing this to find a way home. But Kenny's not sure there's a point in trying to find a way out, and if Boyd is in such a hurry to die, he's welcome to go for it. Jim is messing with the plug of one of the lamps. Tabitha asks what he is up to, and Jim shows her that the wires are just coding. There's no actual wires in any of them. Oh, and also the plug isn't real either. He's able to just take it apart. Jade bursts in and says that Jim noticed the wire thing too. That's cool. Tabitha says he almost killed them, but Jade says, Hey, you know what? I wasn't driving. And my friend that I've known since third grade, he's dead. He's not walking around with a small little cut in his leg, so we'll just call that even. But Jade has an idea, and Jim can help him. I like the fact that we have multiple mysteries, but... There's also just like this mystery here with the plugs where it's just kind of weird and kind of cool. Like there's, it's not like an overarching kind of thing. It's like, okay, we know the main mystery is what the creatures are, where they're at. But there's also weird things in the town like this where, you know, you've got the radios that'll sometimes turn on random songs. You've got you know, a, a signal that kind of bursts through every once in a while on radios. Like, there's a lot of these little mysteries about how the town works, and it's awesome to see that characters are starting to question it and go, I need to figure out why this is. Why are all of our electronics able to work even though none of the cords are actually real? Katri tells Sarah there is not a single copy of the Bible in town. There are Judy Bloom novels and other books, but no Bibles. He says the rules of the town say that she should be in the box. Nathan told him about the voices, and he thinks that she can actually help the situation, because he believes that she is hearing, possibly, the voice of God, or something other, some other benevolent, jeez, some other really nice force that's trying to help them. So, well... It's a, it's a leap, for sure, because so far they've told her to kill random people, but if you believe it, I guess. Fatima finds Julie, and she asks about the flowers, and Fatima doesn't know where they came from either, so somebody put the flowers out there. Jim and Jade tear apart Jared's car for parts. Jim asks why they had to go all the way out of town to tear apart this car, and Jade's like, this is our big master plan, and this car has top-of-the-line parts. He's not going to risk his plan falling apart because of some jalopy in town that they raided. Ethan and Tabitha arrive at the diner. 
Tabitha says there has a box that she needs to put into storage. Ethan doesn't want to be left alone, so Tabitha tells him that Sarah's not here and he is safe. So he follows. The box that she has is what I believe would be the old Platt family stuff. Uh, Megan, Frank, and the wife that died. They take the look, take a look around the storage area a bit, and Tabitha says the stuff used to belong to the people in town who are gone. Ethan tells a tale about the cave of the Lonely Dragon, which is from his Chromonocle book regarding a place where lost things wound up. Tabitha notices a bracelet hanging on one of the racks, and she takes it. I understand that we're going to keep referencing Ethan's books because he thinks they're important, but after a while, you just want to be like, look, son, this isn't a storybook. Like, this is, this is real. People are dying around you. Jade and Jim head out to a tree to set up the antenna. Jim says that the tree is too small and they won't get a signal. But Jade says that he built a multi-million dollar company and Jim did tests on teacup rides. Jim tells him to fuck off and Jade stops him and admits that, hey, you know what, I don't do well with people. He proceeds to beg Jim for help, and Jim agrees and starts climbing the tree. Boyd heads out past the Troy, Michigan ambulance and into the clinic. The lights flicker as he walks past them looking for Christy. Boyd looks at the bloody spot where Kenny's dad has, done, has been killed, and Christy calls out to him. Boyd asks how Kenny's doing, and Chrissy says that while Boyd is right to want to prepare Kenny for the worst and get him ready to take over if Boyd dies, Kenny doesn't need a sheriff right now. He needs a dad. And Boyd realizes that she is right. He's made the same mistake that he made in the past with Ellis, and Boyd thanks her and leaves. Katri tells Sarah that people think the Bible is a fixed entity, but how can a story be done when all the performers are still on stage? He tells her that the Bible has amazing stories in it, but it's also kind of filled with murder and hate. The Bible is made up of 73 books, and Akatri thinks that the people of the town are living in the 74th book. He thinks that they were chosen. Akatri asks about the voices she's hearing, because he thinks she is hearing God. Ethan arrives in the kitchen to ask what his dad is, when his dad is getting home, and Tabitha is looking at the bracelet she found, and Ethan asks why the light keeps flickering. Tabitha says they should go on an adventure, and she grabs a hammer and hands a screwdriver to her son, and then she unplugs the lamp, and then Tabitha starts hammering into the wall. I mean, at least it's not technically their house, and if you're looking for a way to get out, you're just hoping that this is temporary anyways. <clears throat> Jim climbs to the top of the tree, and Jade gets set up. Jade puts his hand on the tree, and it starts to bleed all over him. He looks up, and he sees that a bunch of, sh of soldiers are strung up in the branches, and they proceed to bleed all over him. He says, sees a symbol carved into a tree, no relation to the other shore cover, which looks like a circle with three swoops covering the inside of it. A half-burned black man fires at him, and Jade runs away. The man is also dressed in the same World War soldier outfit as the dead men in the trees. Jade is fired upon again, and then the man stabs him in the stomach with his bayonet. He pulls back to kill Jade, but Jim calls out to Jade that it's not real. And Jim asks him what he saw, but Jade runs away. So, we get sort of a sense that the town is stuck in the 50s or the 60s. Everything is kind of older technology. 
Everything has that sort of 50s, 60s aesthetic to it. And the creatures themselves even dress like people from the 50s and 60s. So it, it's a bit strange to see soldiers show up. Now, they're not actually showing up. Obviously, this is just a thing, but it sort of tells you that maybe they're either were brought there way, way back during World War I or World War II, or that this was just a place that you used to be able to get to, and it was kind of just a center for these deaths. We had the strange thing before where Jade saw the guy with the boulder on top of him, uh, who decided to scream out to him. His visions aren't very nice to him, because now there's a guy firing at him and stabbing him, but something happened there. And obviously the symbol being carved into the tree and the guy being half-burned, like, there seemed like there was a lot. We didn't see what had killed this guy's uh, soldier buddies and what tied them up into the trees. But it's another in the kind of growing mystery on things that happen here. Sarah tells Katri that the voices tell her they have been here for a long time and they are waiting, wanting to help them escape. Sarah says that the voices told her things that she could not have known. They told her to go to the edge of town, and she would see two cars arrive. The voices told her that this happened before. Two cars arrived, and everybody died because of who was in those cars. She says that if she killed Ethan, they would be safe, and they would get to go home. Katri asks if she still believes that the voices are telling her the truth, and she gets upset because they promised Nathan would be safe. Katra says they need proof that the voices are not the product of a troubled mind. Sarah begins to scream and thrash and says she needs paper so she can show him something. Jim returns to the tree and tries with the radio, and he is actually able to pick up static and transmit a message out, but nobody responds. Jade is in the diner and is drawing the simple he saw. Tian Chen says something to him, but Jade says he has no idea what she's saying. She wants him to drink the tea she made, and he says it's good. Tian then looks at the symbol he is drawing, takes it, and walks off. Jade follows her to the storage area. Tian tries to bring down a box, and Jade helps her. She hands him a radio, and then a 1972 yearbook. Then she hands him a journal. And we see that the same symbol is drawn throughout the journal. I don't know if that means that this box is from 1972, because it has a 1972 yearbook, or if it's just the belongings of somebody who maybe graduated in 1972. The radio definitely seemed to be older, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't just stacked up in the box at some time later. I mean older than 1972, not older as incredibly old. But the journal is important, obviously, and the fact that the symbol has made itself seen to other people, or other people have seen where it actually is, because so far it has just been in Jade's visions. We haven't actually seen the symbol anywhere in present time. Sarah draws out something while struggling, and Katri looks at it, and it's a drawing of a spaceship with a happy astronaut hanging out of it. Sarah says that they watch Katri arrive, and bury the bag. And of course he looks like, what the hell is going on? 
Lloyd searches his house and finds a ball and a glove. He goes to Kenny's house and offers to play catch with him. Lloyd tells a story about playing first base in high school and how he had some scouts poking around, but life had other plans for him, and he eventually joined the military. He tells Kenny that he is sick, and even though he was told the Parkinson's that his father had shouldn't be hereditary, he wound up winning the genetic lottery anyways and got it. Lloyd says he will get to the point where he can't protect the people anymore, so he needs to find a way out while he still can. The only reason he can go on is because he knows Kenny will keep the people safe. Boyd says that if Kenny is not ready, Boyd will not go and he will stick around. Kenny gets up and asks if they're going to go and throw the ball around. Jim arrives home to see a huge hole in his wall. Ethan walks up with a bucket of dirt, which his mother said that he should start throwing it outside. Jim is just sort of kind of going along with this. She goes downstairs to find Tabitha digging into the basement floor. Tabitha says that the electricity has to come from somewhere. The wires go straight down into the ground, so she is going to try to figure out where those wires end. She says that she made a bracelet after their first few dates from his father's shoelaces. Jim lost it while at the hospital the day Julie was born. She tells him to look at the bracelet and turn it around. Jim sees the bracelet, and Tabitha says that it's his. And he's like, no, I mean, yeah, I see that the shoelaces are the generic leather that my dad's wear, and it looks a lot like it, but she says, no, no, no. There's a chip in one of the stones. And she says while she was making it, it was an accident, but she said that accidents make things one of a kind. And Jim decides this is enough. For him to understand that while it doesn't understand or doesn't make any sense why this thing is here, it is here. So he asks for a shovel to help her dig. Katri is out in the field of rocks and digs up a bag. Inside the bag is a bottle of booze, a bloody pre-shirt, and a candy bar that has the same rocket ship on it that Sarah drew. This candy bar looks really old, and I think we're supposed to assume that everybody that's currently in town here other than victor like went missing within the past couple of years so like nothing older than like 2018 ish but the candy bar looks so old that it made me wonder if katri actually came from a different time they don't really bring it up at all so i'm gonna assume he's not but it's definitely weird that it looks very old-timey Kenny and Boyd are throwing around the ball, and Boyd says he doesn't need a glove because he played first base. Yeah, you still need a glove, buddy. His hand starts to shake as Kenny throws to him, and Kenny offers to carve a bat for Boyd when he gets back so they can play for real. At night, a man walks through the colony house. Everybody is sleeping, and he goes to a second-story window. He opens the curtain on the window to see a young woman standing there, holding the flowers he gave her and she asks when she can come inside. So we went almost the entire episode without having any of the creatures, and then we end with a bang, because there's one outside the window, and this guy with the uh, porno mustache apparently has been maybe courting her, I guess, would be the, the correct way to say it. 
but uh yeah it was an episode that that kind of progressed things a little bit it's it's exactly what you would assume a mid-season episode would be where it's got to set up a lot of things while not having a lot of action to it so it was still a very good episode to watch uh, but obviously one that is needed and uh next week it looks like we're going to get a lot more action so we're going to get right into that and uh thank you for listening to this and i'll catch you on the next one bye bye